Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 20 of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by NASCAR driver Mike Wallace as we'll be looking back at his career and catching up with him to see what he's up to nowadays. And a reminder, as always, we are presented by our friends at Whataburger. Just a reminder that the folks at Whataburger cook up 100% pure beef burgers, 24 hours a day. You can get your burger fix anytime, day or night, at Whataburger. Proud to serve it hot and fresh, 24 hours a day. David Starr joins us right now. David, how we doing, man? Uh, we're doing great, man. I'm excited about our show and uh, just got home from a great weekend there in Martinsville, Virginia. But uh, excited to have uh, Mike Wallace join us today. So, man, I'm doing great. Didn't have the race we were looking for in Martinsville, but uh, but we finished it up finally and uh, wasn't too bad. Dominic Oregon from the RacingExperts.com is here. Dom, what's going on? Tyler, just another week here in Grants, New Mexico. Always happy to be here. Can't believe that, though. You said at the top of the show, 20 episodes. These things just keep ticking off one by one. It doesn't seem like 20 episodes in. The uh, the Tony Stewart's or Eric Jones or Matt Kenseth episode, whatever you want to call it, we have reached that point here on uh, Let's Go Racing. And uh, David, looking back at Martinsville first, 22nd place finish for you there on the Xfinity side. What did you make of the paperclip getting back on the racetrack after two weeks off? Man, it was fun. It, it was exciting to race uh, – you know, Friday night under the lights is really cool. We, uh, I don't remember where we started, 30-something or whatever, and uh, I think we drove up to about 19th. Car really, you know, there at Martinsville, the paper clip trace track, your car's got to really turn good, rotate in the center, and had great forward bike. We just had a really good Toyota Super there. It was pretty awesome race car. Unfortunately, uh, you know, they've had a couple of cautions, and uh, I didn't know this. My spotter didn't relay the information, but NASCAR warned everybody, you know, when a caution comes out on the restarts, the lap before the restart, you can choose the bottom or the top side. And uh, usually uh, you lay back, I don't know, four or five car lengths from the car in front of you, and your spotter's telling you, hey, go low, go high, just whichever line you can advance uh, a roll or two, you know. And uh, the outside is not a bad place to be there at Martinsville. You know, if you can advance a couple spots. And uh, I guess NASCAR had came over early in the race after one of the restarts and, and warned everybody, if you lay back uh, on the front straightaway before you get to the choose line, there's a choose line, you got to choose low or high. If you lay back too far, we will penalize you. Well, I had no idea. So anyway, we, we got a great race car. We're making our way through the field. Everything's going great. A lot of people in front of me, their cars don't rotate that good. They make it really tight, and I was able to turn underneath them and get the inside lane and make a pass. Well, right before, right before the rain came, they had a caution, and we stayed out. I don't remember if many people pitted, but uh, the choose lane, you know, my spotter's saying, hey, you know, go high. So, man, I went high, but I – before he told me that, I had fallen back probably four car lengths from the car in front of me. Well, man, next thing you know, I'm going down the back straightaway. My spotter says, hey, man, you've been penalized. you got to go to the very back of the pack. I'm like, man, for what? You know, we didn't pit. What are you talking about? He said, man, I, I apologize. That's my fault. They had warned us early on that. You know, you can't you can't lie back. You, you got to be right behind the car uh, when you're choosing, you know. So I'm like, man, 
we went to the back and I was able to pass seven or eight cars before the rains came. I think I got back up to 27th, wherever, 26, whatever it was. The rain came, got rained out. We came back Sunday afternoon, uh, lunchtime, and started the race. And man, God, I had such a different car. Uh, during the day, sunshine, a lot, lot warmer days, sunshiny. And man, our super, that baby wouldn't turn for nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, it wouldn't turn, couldn't get off the corner. And uh, I, we spent, we probably pitted probably 12, 13 times. Carl Long, my team owner, was my crew chief. And uh, man, we worked on that thing. We worked on it. We, we'd go to the back. He'd make some changes to it. We'd pass four, five, six cars. And he said, what do you think? I said, man, it won't turn. Bring it to me. Next caution. We'd come in. Nobody else came in. He'd make more changes to it. We'd go all the way to the back. And finally, the, 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 the last part of the race, I mean, last 30 laps, my car was doing what I needed to do. And we were making some ground. We just ran out of time. And uh, we finished, luckily, 22nd, which not very good, but it was pretty ugly before we got the car working like we needed to. So uh, it was a fun weekend. And uh, we uh, finished, and uh, we loved it. It was a great race, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds like it. And uh, Josh Berry <laughs> ended up in a victory lane. Dale Jr. has been high on him for a long time. Tell us your thoughts of Josh getting his first career win. We've seen a few first-time winners in the Xfinity Series this year. Well, just a matter of time. I mean, when you're driving for Dale Jr. and, and the equipment he has and the, the resources and the, the manufacturing backing that and, uh, you know, th that team, it was just a matter of time. Josh Berry's, a, I mean, just a, a great short track racer. Been driving for Dale Jr. for a while on the short track side and uh, had a lot of success. I was glad to see somebody like himself earn that opportunity uh, and Dale Jr. give him the opportunity to, to come up into NASCAR and Xfinity side. And I, I knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be long before we saw Josh Berry in victory lane. And he, he did a great job. I mean, they didn't give it to him. He earned it. And uh, I was proud of him. And uh, it was a great story, you know. So I wasn't, wasn't surprised by all that he, you know, I knew he would win eventually. One more question before we bring in Mike here. David, have you ever had a situation where you started a race one night and then you didn't even complete it till two days later? I mean, that had to be <laughs> odd to that NASCAR waited as long as they did to get you guys back in the race car like that. Well, I have, and, and I think, and you will hear Mike's opinion on that uh, here in a little bit, but you know, uh, you can't control the weather, you know what I mean? And uh, it rained us out Friday night. It was kind of cool to run Marsville for my first time underneath the lights. It's like a Saturday night short track race, you know, and uh, you can't control the weather and man, Saturday, the weather was awful. And uh, so, yeah, sometimes, you know, you, you're going to race on Saturday afternoon, and next thing you know, you end up racing Tuesday afternoon because it rained for three days, you know, and NASCAR are doing their best to get the racetrack ride and get to race in because the next week, you know, we got to get back to the shop there in Charlotte, and there's a lot of stuff that's ha that has to happen for the next race. So uh, there's been more than, you know, I, I've, I've waited uh, three days before we ran, actually ran the race because of weather, so that wasn't a big surprise to us. All right. Well, that's uh, good to know. David, tell us about our guest this week, Mike Wallace. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I don't even know if Mike knows this, but the way before I made it to NASCAR racing, you know, I you know, I, 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 I wanted to be a NASCAR race car driver and racing everything you get your hands on. And, you know, you're watching ESPN, you're seeing Rusty Wallace win the 1989 Winston Cup champion and 
you know, you know, Rusty was the superstar, you know, and uh, and then you see this guy Mike Wallace and Kenny Wallace, you know what I mean? And man, I I, I was like, man, that's pretty damn cool to have brothers out there racing. I mean, these guys are racing hard, you know. And I always remember watching Mike on television. He was a hell of a competitor, and and you know, by the grace of God, you know, I I made it to NASCAR and got to meet Mike. But man, what a a great guy, a hard charger. I mean, he's a, a hell of a race car driver, a hard charger. We became great friends. But, man, you uh, when they drop that green, there, there's only one direction Mike goes, and that's to the front, you know. And I'm excited to have him on our podcast because, man, this guy, I mean, he's driven for everybody. So, Mike, welcome, man. Glad to have you. Well, David, thank you very much. And, hey, just to give you a little advice from an old guy, when they were asking you how you finished over the weekend and you started giving that long ex explanation, just in the future, go, I finished 22nd. I was the 22nd best car in the world that day. You don't have to explain. Just make it say the world, and everybody gets it. They got it. Man, good job, they go. I, I learned that doing appearances years ago when you tried to make excuses for the – but when you walked in the door and said, well, I qualified 36, they went, good job, good job, you know, so. You know, you and, and, and guys, Mike told me one time, uh, years ago, and, and I'll never forget this, you know, uh, Mike said, you know, and I don't remember what the circumstances was, but there was a circumstances, and Mike Wallace told me this. He said, David, do you realize you're one, you're one of a hundred, I think he said 140 people in the world that race in NASCAR, he said, man, there's 43 cup, uh, Winston Cup race car drivers at the time. And he said there's 43 Bush Series at the time race car drivers. And I think there were 38 truck drivers, NASCAR Capital World Truck Series drivers. And he said, you know, and I don't remember what the circumstances was. And he said, man, can you believe that you're one of 120, whatever that number was, in the world? So whatever I was complaining about or whatever the circumstance was might put it in perspective, you know, in the world to race in NASCAR at a professional level and get paid for it. I'll never forget that. Mike told me that. You remember that, Mike? Uh, I, I, I kind of remember telling you and I told a few other people that exact word because what happens, David, you know, we're competitors and competitors want to beat each other. You might be the best of buddy. You might have hung out the night before, but far and in between, you want to do way better than your competitors until you realize at the time that maybe you're not in the equipment that those guys are in or the top teams are in. But when you think about how small a group we got, I mean, we're the whole world, take the whole world and you're <laughs> one of them. You know? So uh, I think it makes us feel good after we take a few moments and uh, realize how fortunate all the effort that was put forth to be able to get to that opportunity. But uh we're still uh, going to complain why we didn't run good and didn't win and all that because that's our nature, man. If, we, if we'd be happy with being 22nd every week, then we don't need to be out there. That's not a bit of fun. So, Absolutely. Mike, where, where did it all start for you, Mike? Take us back in time. Oh, man, I tell you what, it's a, it's a long time ago, 1975. Wow. You don't even – no, you guys were even around then probably, so uh, – <laughs> I wasn't born until yeah. 96, so there's your <laughs> over here, too. Yeah. Is, is that supposed to be a rub-in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, as screwed up as the world is today, let me tell you, it was really fun back then. <laughs> you could do things and wouldn't even get in trouble for it. <laughs> but, uh, 
born and raised in the St. Louis, Missouri area, metro area of St. Louis. My older brother, Rusty, my younger brother, Kenny, all three of us ended up having a career driving race cars. But along the way, my father raced as a hobby. Uh, my uncle owned a vacuum cleaner and janitorial supply business that we all worked in. Rusty, Kenny, and myself worked in that for a period of time. And uh, at least for Rusty and Kenny, they said they had to have a place to answer their phone. So we didn't have cell phones back then. So you literally used the office numbers because there's like 15 lines there you just go find yourself a, an office in the back somewhere and you could talk racing for a couple hours before anybody want to know where you're at so uh but grew up there racing a little racetrack called lake hill speedway a little half mile or excuse me third mile asphalt track and run a bunch of dirt races and uh my big change in life came in 1990 and won the nascar winston racing series championship running 11 and i 44 speedway and bolivar usa speedway wow. and uh, won that regional championship and in 1991 i went to martinsville ran my first uh first race down there and uh, the rest is history if you say we've had a uh, not in any way what you call a superstar career but we've won some major races, and I uh, always to make myself feel good upstairs in my closet, my dresser's in there, and I have the, I drove Kevin Harvick's truck in my last truck race I run in Talladega, and I won that race. So that trophy sits on, when I wake up every morning and go to bed at night, if, if I'm needing to inspire myself or re-inspire myself, I just look there and go, well, on that day, I was the best in the world. That's awesome, Mike. So when you look back at your career and you were progressing through trying to make it to NASCAR, at what age or what point did you realize, hey, I could possibly make a career out of this? Well, racing was so different back then. You, you, you actually had to have some maturity to you back in the 90s. I, I remember in 1989, I called and got Cale Yarborough's phone number at his Honda dealership in Darlington, South Carolina. Wow. or Timmonsville, wherever it's at down there. And I was a calling, applying for a job. I was wanting to drive for Cal Yarbrough, drive his cup car. Never been in a cup car in my life. And I introduced myself, <laughs> you know, who I was and the racing experience I had and my older brother, blah, blah, blah. And I remember this as clear as can be. He says, well, you know, it sounds like you got a really good resume. Now, you got to remember this is Cal Yarbrough saying this. The, the man. The man, the, the little, I mean, he's the man. Yes. And he goes, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I says, well, I'm, I'm 29, sir, going on 30. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, you've got a hell of a career in front of you. He says, but we're looking for somebody a little older with more experience to sit in our car. <laughs> I love it. all that, if you're not 12 now, you don't have a ride. And if, you don't, if you're not under contract with somebody by 14, then you don't know what your future holds. So, uh yeah, I mean, it's so, Mike, way different. That, that being said, Mike Wallace drove himself to NASCAR. Unlike in today's world, uh, Mike earned the right. He, he, he put himself in a situation. He won races. He won the national championship. You had an opportunity. The difference between Mike Wallace, when Mike Wallace came into NASCAR, and then somebody coming into NASCAR in the past, you know, 10 years, he earned a way here. He drove his way here. Now it's more about not so much the talent is how big of a check do you bring with you. You know what I mean? So 
when Mike drove came into NASCAR, it was a different time. It totally was a different time, David. I mean, literally, we got hired on talent back then. We had no money. I mean, we're kids that grew up in St. Louis working in a vacuum cleaner janitorial supply business. It was a nice little family business, but no big money there. And no one asked you to bring a sponsor. It wasn't a common thing back then. I, I remember because we used to uh, sit around, and you might have been involved in some of these conversations. You know, it's like, look at them IndyCar guys. They all got to take money for them. We're drivers. We get paid, you know. And uh, now you look at it and go, okay, who can bring the biggest check to go where they want to go? You know? so, Unbelievable. But, uh, definitely has changed a lot in that aspect. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I want to go back a little bit, uh, you know, did Kenny, did, uh, did Rusty inspire you? Was it your dad? How did you fall in love and know that you wanted to be a professional race car driver? I mean, did it happen instantly or was it, was it after Rusty was having success racing? Was it when your dad was racing? What did, what did, how did that happen and when did it happen? Oh, I think you have to put it in perspective. Of course, it was after Rusty had success. Okay. Because I knew how he grew up. I watched how he grew up. You know, I watched him be broken out of money and get enough money to go race and make just enough to pay everything for the next week and go on and on. And I really didn't know there was a future in racing. It was fun. We raced a lot on the weekend. I mean, we raced three nights, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night for years as a hobby. Right. And then as he made it in his career, and uh, because Kenny had vectored his career to help Rusty a little bit, work with him, Rusty gave him an opportunity in a, uh, back then a Bush Series car. And I'll be honest with you, I got envious of them both. I mean, both, look here, man, I, I can outrun them at home, but they're down there big time NASCAR racing. And, uh, <laughs> like, what about so, me? <laughs> yeah, 1990, it was, uh, I got to go win. A, I, I was given some advice from a, somebody that lived down in this area, get a tie to NASCAR somehow, win a regional championship or something. And uh, I don't know if you ever had the pleasure to race the Winston Racing Series or not, but, you know, RJR, of course, backed the deal. But it was an incredible, incredible program for short track racers. Absolutely. You know, you raced other people. I, that year, believe it or not, I was in Missouri racing, and Frank Kimmel was competing against me. He was racing in Louisville, Kentucky. But we were still in the same region, you know. And uh, you just get those opportunities that were given back in the day, those same opportunities as far as the Winston Racing Series. I mean, they got different names on it. Nothing had the impact as it did back then because it was really a big opportunity. And so I got that opportunity. I won that championship and says, you know what? I made some bold, stupid statement. I remember the last night winning the championship that I was going NASCAR racing next year. Now, I have no idea how I thought I was going to do that. <laughs> I didn't really know that you had to, you know, there was things involved other than for many years, I won a lot of races around home. So I thought I was a hero, you know, and, uh, and somehow or another, believe it or not, uh, a guy by the name of Mark Reno, uh, a lot oh, of people yeah. know Mark, a lot of people don't, but he's a guy from California that he was over here and, worked for all the top teams in NASCAR. And when I come down, he created an opportunity for me to go uh, to run Martinsville, my fir very first Bush Series race. And that's when they had used to have 60 cars there every week, you know, and you had a hooligan race and everything else. And uh, we made it in and uh, finished third. So it was a good day. That's amazing, man. I uh, Let me read off. This is amazing. Now, I know Mike. Well, I've, I've raced against Mike. I've watched him on television. You know, I've seen Mike Wallace. But let me just say, Andy Petrie, Andy Petrie Racing, Ultra Motorsports, Phoenix Racing, 
Judy Dunleavy Racing, Richard Childress, Ray Evernham, Robert Yates, Morgan McClure, James Fence, MB2 Motorsports, AJ Foyt Racing, Roger Penske, uh, uh, the CEO of McDonald's, if I remember, Renzi Racing, uh, Washington Irving, I think there's some NBA legends. Dude, it does, it's, man, we could say, who haven't you driven for? Man, those are some big names, Mike. You know, wow. you know, David, I don't know if that's good or bad. Okay? <laughs> I don't know because I've drove for so many other people over my career. Of course, when I'm compared to my older brother, Rusty, the, the lovers of Rusty condemn me. You know, I didn't win enough races, didn't run good enough, didn't do whatever. But you know what I did have? And then you have this, David Starr. You have longevity. Right. You're still in the sport. You know, I can I can walk out my front door diagonally across the street into a nice new development that's down there. And there was three NFL players that lived in there, major Carolina Panther players. They had a three and a half, four year career and then they were out of it. Done. It. Not, nobody even knows who they are now, you know? Wow. And it's wow. like, wow, you know what? I, I got paid. I got paid for twenty-five years Amazing. to drive these race cars. And then made money the other four years, even though it may not have been getting the check. You know, I did all right. So, uh, and, and we still love it. That's why you do it. I mean, we all love the, the competition, the uh, friendship with people, but we're still, we're all having to make a living. We're all, uh, we did good early on. So we got to make enough money to maintain all that cool stuff we bought, <laughs> which is a bigger job than mine. <laughs> and, uh, Absolutely. So the, the, the sport continues to change on a daily basis. I, uh, I went the other day, I was uh, with Doug Herbert, a friend of mine who's a drag racer here in town. Right. And we went over to Technique Chassis. That's who's building all the new cup cars. It's right okay. there at the Concord Airport. We walked in there and there was a particular guy we were going to meet. And I looked at the new cup cars for 2022. Oh my God, what a, a new, unique, weird animal that is. And, uh, I got to see who the guy who sold all these race teams on that idea because everything they have in their garage right now for them new 2022 cup cars, except for the engine and the seat is junk. It doesn't fit on the car anywhere. So Mike, you brought up a good point there. And I was asked, I won't mention the media person, but I was asked my opinion on the new 2022 cup car. And I thought about it for a minute, and I said, you know, I, I don't have an opinion on it because I don't know enough about it. But I can tell you that I, I saw Kurt Busch somewhere. I had to be somewhere, and I ran into him real quick. I said, hey, man, how's that new cup car for next year? And he said, David, he shook his head, and that was it. And I had to go, but I wanted, I knew when he shook his head – that was a long conversation, and I did. I was just in passing, you know what I mean. And I haven't heard a lot of great things, Mike. And and one of the biggest things is one lug nut. Why don't we use studs like every car on the street? But man, it's uh, I was wasn't long ago. I was talking to Mark Martin. I said, "Hey, Mark, why don't yourself, Tony Stewart, Rusty Wallace?" Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, why don't you guys go to NASCAR and whoever's making the decisions in our sport and has been for the last three, four years, why don't they make a decision and then run it by Rusty Wallace, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, 
you know, Jimmy Johnson, Mark Martin, and after they run it by the racers, and then they can implement it. But I believe, like what you're just saying, that somebody's built a race car that in everything and anything that we have in these race shops today, the only thing that's going to work is the seat and the engine. Is that what I understood you say, Mike? That's exactly what they told me there. I asked, I said, okay, tell me where these cars, tell me what you can use off the other cars. He right. goes, the seat and the engine, and that's it. Wow. Because it's got a different gearbox and everything in it. And uh, the way the exhaust system is designed on it, it's got a bolt-on front and rear clip. Uh, it's just all totally different. And literally, I, I mean, maybe it doesn't matter to established car owners and big team car owners, but literally think of all the race cars and all the fuel cells and all the electric panels, everything they got in their shop are useless after at the end of this year. And there is nowhere right now to dispose of all those, you know, 2021 and earlier cars. There's uh, but it is what it is, and uh, they're going to do it. They're building them. They said I was over there, and they said they had to have 40 of them done by uh, June 1, and they had 400 on order. So, <laughs> Wow, 400. That's, well, that's amazing. And you, it's funny you bring up Kurt Busch, David, because back in October, I interviewed Kurt, and I asked him about you know his future and such, and, and he told me, he said that he was looking forward to – continuing and racing for a while because he wanted to drive the new car and see what that was like and what that would do. And then, of course, he was one of the first drivers to get to test drive it. And then we, we see this, you know, weird message of sorts that's kind of you know, gave an idea that he might retire at the end of this year. Maybe he got in and didn't like it, maybe. That's what – I'm not trying to read too much into things here, but it does seem like maybe his tune has changed a bit. Well, you, you got a good point. I don't know. Like I said, I'd, I'd like to talk to him a little bit, and maybe Mike has. I haven't. But just to see, you know, I don't know enough about it. How do they drive? You know what I mean? What are they like? You know, they handle good. They don't drive good. I mean, I don't know. But it's it's a it's a night-day change for a sport, that's for sure. And Mike knows a lot more about it because I, I don't even think I've ever seen it, one of the cars sitting pictures. Mike was right there at the places that's manufacturing them. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a different car, David. And uh, regardless of what's, as racers, you and I both would be thrilled to death to sit in one of those cars for the Daytona 500 never driving one in our life. You know, <laughs> we'd line it up with no practice and it would be cool. But uh, Absolutely. It's, it's just like everything else. And your, your story about why didn't, don't they run some of these rule changes past drivers, owners, if you ever remember NASCAR, they've never done that. It's like they just are scared to give credit to any driver or publicly give them knowledge, you know, but, uh, you know, I always thought that racers are, can create the best race, you know, tell us what you need and we'll make that. And then it's the promotion and the sanction body side, then to put the race on. But, uh, absolutely. absolutely. But we're still here after all these years and you're still here after all these years. So uh, as we, I say to the, some NASCAR folks that I know that are, I says, well, we, we agree to disagree, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And he Absolutely. said, and this one said it the other day, he says, man, I drove by that house of yours. It doesn't look like you're suffering too bad. And I said, <laughs> I didn't say that. I just said that, you know, we've got to have an opinion. you got to have a little argument back and forth just to right. keep it good text. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's episode 20 of Let's Go Racing with David Starr, presented by Whataburger. 
Don't forget that every Whataburger is made fresh. Hots is served hot and prepared just like you like it. Want jalapenos and cheese on that? No problem. They've got you covered. Whataburger, proud to serve it hot and fresh 24 hours a day. Mike, I'm a Midwest guy. You know, I, I lived in the Kansas City area. I currently live in Omaha. And it seems like you and your family were some of the first Midwest, you know, racers in NASCAR, some of the most notable. Uh, you know, you go back, of course, there's so much focus on the South and the guys that came from Carolina or out West, the guys that came from California and such. What did it mean for you and your family to, to represent the Midwest like, like you did? Well, you know, I, I think we're all proud of the hometown we grew up in. And uh, as you mentioned, the, the Midwest didn't seem to be a big corridor for NASCAR racing. You just didn't, uh, there was different ways to get here back in the day, but you look at the success. Okay. I, my brother, Rusty, who's a champion, my brother, Kenny, who's won a lot of races, Kenny Schrader, the four of us all grew up together, racing at the same little racetrack back in the day. Our, our fathers raced against each other. Then you think about the Midwest, how far does that garner out just from Kansas? But you know, you got Carl Edwards who lived in Columbia, Missouri, Jamie McMurray's from you know, Joplin, Missouri. You got the Matt Kansas of the world from Wisconsin. So uh, I will say one you. thing. Yeah, one thing I learned about Midwest and uh, guys race because they like to race. And people work on cars because they like to work on cars. And that sounds like a really weird cliche, but when you – I live in the Charlotte metro area, Concord, North Carolina. And everybody that lives down here wants to get paid to go racing with you. My son's got two super late models. We go to a super late model race. Nobody wants to go for the fun of it. They all want to get paid. It's like in the Midwest, all your buddies used to go, and you did really good if you bought them dinner at the truck stop on the way home that night. You know, they were thrilled to death. Well, uh, that's a and, and then just along those lines, too, as you saw throughout your career – you know, Gateway and there in your hometown, St. Louis, got added to the NASCAR schedule. You know, Kansas has gotten, uh, you know, two stops for, for a long time that are very important races now. Chicagoland had a good run there for a while. It seemed like that the sport really grew a lot in a short period of time in the Midwest. Well, I think it was. A, there's a, a tremendously large fan base for NASCAR-style racing that comes out of the Midwest. A lot of people say they're closet fans. Maybe they don't sit around and talk about it at work as much as somewhere else, but uh, it, it's a big following. And you mentioned the uh, Gateway Racetrack. I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at the Wallace Family Tribute 250 picture on the wall next to me. And we're so honored, you know, talking about cool things that have happened to our family. The racetrack honored the race in our name, the Wallace family. My dad was still around, so he got to attend. My mom, I ran second that night driving Ray Abraham's car. Rusty ran his car, and Kenny raced. It was, it was just a great honor. And we still, believe it or not, David Starr, you'll love this stat. We still hold the record for the largest fan attendance ever at Gateway International Speedway with 64,000 people there for the wow. Wallace 250. I mean, that was, that was the big grandstands that never have people in them filled up. So uh, it'd be like having a big old race down there in Texas in your name and the whole world shows up for you. You know, it feels good. Well, I'm not surprised, Bob, you know, that it was 64,000 people. Y'all, you know, uh, yourself, Kenny, your younger brother, Rusty, and your dad, 
I mean, y'all, y'all really have made our sport a better sport, uh, you know, and, and you guys, y'all, you know, you might not think you're special, but you guys are special, man. To have three brothers race at the top level in NASCAR and all y'all's accomplishments and what y'all brought to the Midwest. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's a storybook, man. It's storybook stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to one day where I go buy me a Mike Wallace book. You know, I know it's not too far down the road, but, uh, I think that'll be pretty cool to read all the stories in there. That's cool that you said that. I've had a gentleman who's been trying to talk me into doing a book. I said, there's nobody interested in a book, for, you know, that I would write or that you would write for me. I'll tell you, you know, and it's like, oh, no, you've got some really cool stories. You just got to put them all together. So, uh, absolutely. You know, hey, Mike, I'm sitting here thinking about something. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, man, Roger Penske, man, there's not too many people in the world that say that I worked for Roger Penske or I drove for, I was one of Roger Penske's race car driver. I mean, that's, I think us race car drivers, if you could say that's probably one of the biggest things outside of winning the NASCAR cup series championship or winning the Daytona 500, that's got to rank up there with that. But man, when you drove that 12 car for Roger Penske, dude, I, I mean, you, you, I, don't, I don't even remember if you won a race, but what I do remember that every time I saw you in a Roger Pinsky car, dude, you was one of the top dogs. I mean, can you tell us how that came about and why it didn't go further? I mean, because am I wrong to say that, man, every time you'd climbed in a Roger Pinsky race car, Mike Wallace was very competitive. And so uh, why, did, why did that last longer? Well, the quick story was, is that late in that year, and I want to say that was 2001, something like that, 2002 at the latest. I remember getting off the plane in Concord, North Carolina, and Walt Zarnicky called me. We raced Kansas City that day. He said, well, good, I got a hold of you. And Walt is Roger's right-hand guy in business and everything he does. And he goes, well, I'm I'm glad you you guys got home. I said, just walked off the plane. He said, okay, I'm going to make it quick. He says, I want to know if you want to drive the 12 car starting this weekend in Charlotte. Wow. And I was driving the seven car for Jim Smith and we weren't having the best of years, even though we did so well in the truck series together. Right. I says, well, I says, you know, after I picked myself up off the ground to answer you, because I'm totally awed, that's exactly what I told you. <laughs> I says, you'll have to give me tomorrow to talk to, you know, Jim Smith, who I've got a contract with. And I would think they'll let me out because we're not having the best of years, but you never know. And uh, so real quickly, he says, okay, we're going to make the deal. We'll call you back in the morning. He called back and says, here's how much we're going to pay you. And I went, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was that look, too. <laughs> like, wow, you get to drive these cars and get paid that much money? Wow. And uh, so, but I could not go to the shop till 4 o'clock or till I got released from the contract. They didn't want me in the building. So I had to go through all day, all day, just back and forth, West Coast time, our time. And finally, at like 3.58, Smith called and said, okay, let's just, we won Daytona together, let's part ways. And you go do your deal. I'm going to put somebody in this thing. And so I went to, started driving a car. And, oh, my God, David, you have no how easy it is to run up front in good cars. It's, That's amazing, man. You, you, you would uh, – I made a joke to a lot of people. I might have said this to you. It's like, I went to driver 101 last week, and I come back with a Penske car. 
And I just drove by Jeff Gordon for the lead in Martinsville, flat <laughs> 80 laps. I mean, come on. <laughs> so uh, That's amazing, man. The story was they were wanting to get rid of Jeremy Mayfield. They found a driver because Jeremy was wanting gone out of the deal. He was trying to get hired by Robert Yates. It was a big old Peyton place type thing back then. Right. Uh, but they had agreed already in principle that they were going to downsize to two cars because Ryan Newman was new on the scene and uh, – Roger Wispensky's with uh, Tom Deloge and that team. Yeah. And so the end result was, is it was never promised to me. But by all indications, I thought I was going to drive that car the following year. So I turned down every opportunity that was offered to me. And after I drove that car, I had some great opportunities. I mean, really, you know, RCR and people like that. After I run second at Martin or at Phoenix, it's like, come drive our car next year. And I said, well, I think I'm going to drive that 12 car. And, Tells you, lo and behold, don't stay too true to things because uh, that was 9-11, September 11th. We run loud, and that's that weekend after Thanksgiving. Wow. And we come back, and on Monday, they fired the whole shop. Everybody in it was laid off, and the 12 car was non-existent. That's and uh, it, that was a 10 years of dev devastation. I, uh, I run into some of the crew guys. They work for Gibbs and other teams now, and it's like, man, we had fun back then. And, we make it sound like it was like a couple days ago, but it was, uh, you know, 2002. So what's that, 18 years ago? But uh, I don't know why, you know, I couldn't get in what I call longer-term relationships with teams. Uh, I always seemed to be on the backside of what a team was doing. You know, it wasn't hadn't been doing well and couldn't pull it out of, the, you know, enough out of the, uh, the performance side to, to change anything. But the Penske deal, that was, was by far – uh, the greatest ride I ever had, other than a truck team I drove for, Ultra Motorsports. Right. And then it, it revived my career. I mean, literally, I, I tell Roger when I see him now, I says, you know, thank you, even though it really hurts me that I, you, we didn't continue. <laughs> you gave me another 10 to 15 years of my career because people said, oh, crap, he can drive these cars. You know what it's like. People doubt your ability, man. If you're not laying a number down now and then, th this is a cruel world to be in. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but man, I uh, I just thought that was cool, you know. And, oh yeah, and it came and went, you know what I mean. And I'm like, and and the success you had, like you said, Mike, it was a great thing. It was sad that it ended so quick, but it did open the door for for other great stuff, did it not? Yeah, it did. I, the only thing that I wish I would have done is just immediately took the opportunities that were passed on to me. They were offered to me. Let me say it that way. They were offered to me, and I turned them down thinking I needed to be loyal. I had to be loyal. And the, you remember the great Barney Hall he used to do MRN radio all the time. Absolutely. Barney was a good guy in my corner. He always, we always got along well, and he looked at me one day. He goes, Mike, about time you learn. I said, what's that, Barney? He says, you need to take care of you and your family first. Then everybody else second. He's got to remember them guys are hiring you because they need something. It's not because they're trying to be your buddy. I'm like, okay, perfectly well put. Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. let me ask you, Mike, uh, it, it, racing for Roger and everything, was was that what you're most proud of or was it something else throughout your career? What, what were you most proud of looking back? Well, you know, David threw something up that I drove for a lot of different car owners. And some people look at that like, wow, that was bad. Why did you drive for all those different car owners? And I thought to myself, well, you know what? I did something good enough that those people wanted me to drive at least some period of time for them. And uh, 
since Davis there, one of the greatest people I ever drove for, to be very honest with you, because his history goes so deep into NASCAR racing, open wheel racing, world of motorsports, was I got to drive for A.J. Foyt. Amazing. I drove the Conseco number 14 car. It was in A.J.'s final year of owning a cup car, so it was kind of at the end of the deal. But uh, we ran really well, gave him a top 10 at Bristol, and then moved him up a couple spots in the points. And uh, I was always waiting. I wanted that explosive moment from A.J. Foyt where he chewed me out really bad and screamed <laughs> at me because that's all you heard about. The only thing, he was always so nice to me. It was, it was incredible. So, uh, you know, being able to drive for people like Roger Penske, A.J. Foyt, Ray Everham, uh, you know, and hired to drive. I mean, they paid me to drive those cars, you know, and uh, just to get that privilege is pretty special, you know, and I know I would have to say David's sitting there thinking the exact same thing. You know, you get an opportunity in somebody's race car, uh, again, times are changed and things are different, but like you got paid, you didn't have to bring anything, just talent to the table. And gosh, what, what a blessing that was. And every day I wake up and realize that, uh, I, I had a decent career, pretty good career, won some pretty big races, you know, it's, uh, I says it sucks that my older brother won all the races and championship he did because it, it they always judge off of that. But, uh, if he wasn't around, we did pretty good for the Wallace family. Well, I, I'd, oh, have yeah. to, I'd have to say Mike Wallace did pretty damn good. I, I was in some races that you dominated and won and others that you should have won. But, uh, yeah, you, uh, uh, Mike Wallace, I mean, you didn't ride on anybody's coattails. You, you made it on your own, you know what I mean? And uh, it's cool it's to have a famous brother and a, a famous little brother. All you guys are famous and well-known. And But uh, but I would say just what, from what I know how I raced against you, you did it on your own, man. So I, yeah, I appreciate cool. that. And, you know, you guys been giving a plug and I'm looking at your hat there, David, uh, Whataburger. I mean, is that, do I, should I expect a <laughs> overnight delivery or something to show up tomorrow morning or two dozen burgers for the family or something, man? Absolutely, man. Hell, I, you know, you're talking about sponsors. I mean, how, you know, by the grace of God, I, you know, I, I, I'm just fortunate that I have a great sponsor in Whataburger and obviously the, you know, their backing and them, the love of NASCAR racing and just, you know, the, the company they are and man, what a, what an honor it is to be able to represent them on and off the racetrack and, and, and on our podcast as well. Great yeah. company and well, good race. Well, speaking, without of Whataburger, speaking of Whataburger, did you guys know that you can stop by Whataburger for a hot party breakfast any morning or late at night? They're serving up breakfast from 11 PM to 11 AM. Proud to serve it hot and fresh 24 hours a day. What a burger. Uh, guys, let's hey, go ahead. You know that Whataburger is open 24 hours a day? Yes. You can get a burger anytime you want. Seven <laughs> days a week. Amazing. I'm excited because that's my dinner tomorrow. It's pretty awesome. Well, that was my lunch today. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, cool. David, my, my hats are off to you. Also, a lot of people don't realize how big of a challenge it is to be stay competitive and out in the race world. And uh, you've been one of those guys that has known how to do it performance on the racetrack along with the performance off the racetrack. And uh, that's a whole nother time and story and line. You work your butt off to, you know, to service your sponsors and take care of them. And uh, a lot of people don't realize how much, how much effort goes in to being part of this, as we call NASCAR world, you know, it's uh, 
and there's not not a lot of people from their side that come to help you and offers to do anything for you and stuff. Well, absolutely. But, well, I appreciate that. Job. You understand it, and most people don't, you know, and, and uh, I think Tyler and Dominic, they lived it with me over the off time, you know, you just tried to, you know, we couldn't, we can't race anymore. I, I, I'm fortunate that I was able to race with the Wall, Mike Wallace against him and become a friend up with him, and uh, you know, and like you said, they paid us to race. It was amazing, but we would have raced for free. That's how much we loved it. And you're talking about your son, Matt, and people, you know, man, I, I used to go with, when I was a little kid as a teenager, if I could jump in the back of a pickup and go race with somebody, man, and they fed me a sandwich, they didn't have to do anything for me. I wanted to be around race cars. I wanted to learn. I wanted to do that. Times have changed, but we love it so much. Uh, I mean, I love it. And, and hearing you speak earlier, Mike, I love the competition. Now, I'm not racing for wins anymore or even top fives or top tens because of the budget we work on. And the budget dictates the somewhat of the quality team that you have. Uh, but, man, I'm still racing. I'm still in competition. I'm racing hard for 15th, 16th, or 17th. But, man, it's that competition. I love what we do. People said, hey, man, why don't you stop? I said, man, I still feel like I'm strong and I'm healthy and I'm active. And, you know, I don't feel like I'm giving up really anything in the race car. I just wish I had millions and millions of more dollars. You know what I mean? But uh, I was just – I think we're all fortunate that we earned our way into the sport. Now you have to buy your way. And it's just people don't realize how hard it is. I mean, I look at Mike Wallace. I look at you, Mike. You could get into a Roger Penske race car, and I would put money that you could win a cup race today. You're that good. Maybe you have to work out a little bit for a couple of weeks or whatever, but you could get it back. But I just feel like, I mean, am I right? Is that supposed to be funny, really? Is that well, I don't know if that's funny or not, but you know what I'm saying? I, I really feel like that your ability, you don't lose that. Somebody says, hey, Mike Wallace, jump in a Hendrick car, Roger Penske car. I believe you could get in there and win races today. And, and uh, I'd love to give it a shot or two in one of those cars. But <laughs> hey, you guys asked me what my one of my most memorable deals were. Will you talk for like five seconds? I got to run and get you something. I'm going to show it to you. So, okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So, Mike, if you are watching on the uh, video stream right now, Mike is running away to go grab something. And so that will allow us to take a moment to remind the folks that Whataburger cooks up 100% pure beef. Burgers, 24 hours a day. You can get your burger fix anytime, day or night at Whataburger. Proud to serve it 24 hours a day. And now, Mike, uh, what's that you got on your head? Ladies and gentlemen, when you talk about honors and royalty in motorsports, this was hand-delivered to me by Richard Petty. Amazing. He says, I've raced against you for a long time, and he says, I wanted you to have it. And that's just how it happened. So I got a Charlie One Horse the King Richard Petty hat. So, uh, man, life doesn't get much better. I've got AJ Foyt. I've got Roger Penske. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm happy. Absolutely. So that's worked out pretty good for you. Guys, yeah. let's go ahead and get to our uh, NASCAR News and Notes segment where we'll uh, break down some of the biggest storylines in the world of NASCAR. Dominic, where are we going to start out this week? We're going to take it back a few days to Martinsville Speedway. Martin Truex, the track that's obviously named after him, picked up his second win of the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series campaign, his 29th career win in NASCAR's top series. He passed Rex White, 
And Carl Edwards on the NASCAR all-time wins list. So he's the first repeat winner in the eight-race season that is the 2021 Cup Series schedule thus far. David, uh, there was a point in time when Martin Truex wasn't that good on short tracks. Now we, we see him you know, winning on Bristol Dirt and Trucks and winning Martinsville and Cup and such. Seems like Martin's uh, getting better with age. He's becoming a good all-around racer here, and he's up to a good start to 2021. Like we were talking earlier, he's one of 120 people in the world. I mean, this guy's professional. He drives for Joe Gibbs. Uh, he's a NASCAR Cup Series champion. I mean, with the sponsors and the team having Toyota behind him, I mean, you know, I, I was I was surprised by how good he was on dirt at Bristol. I got to give you that. Winning the truck race and seeing how competitive he was, that, that kind of surprised me, but not really. Uh, you know, I, I just knew it was just a matter of time. I mean, I set up in the stands after our race was over there at Martinsville and watched them run. He was competitive all day, and his car had a – you know, he was right there the whole time, and I think they made it better every pit stop. But, man, it was – they put on a heck of a show right there at the end. And, I, and I, I'm not surprised by Martin Truex being our second-time winner of 2021. I mean, we're going to see more wins before the year's over. We might even see six, seven, eight wins by Martin Truex. But he is a championship contender, no doubt, and that team is. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, winning the Cup Series championship again in 2021. Mike, what would you make of uh, Martin's win on Sunday? Well, you know, when you brought that up, I had to think about Martin Truex in his early years. And then as we were just talking about how good, good equipment makes you feel and makes you perform. And, you know, Martin Truex is a champion. There's no other way to say that. He's a champion. He's a racer's racer. But at one time when he wasn't in as good of equipment, he didn't run quite as good. Now, he's been in, you know, a Gibbs-related car for the last X number of years, and it proves what good cars, good people, good crew, people believing in you do. And, uh, you know, as David can vouch, I mean, it's so important, the quality of equipment that you have. And it's not – I found out, too, it's not just quality equipment. It's the surroundings and attitude of people that surround you. So they know that Martin can win and uh, – as David said, they'll probably go on a big win streak here before long. You know, Dominic, with uh, that color shirt and the facial hair, you kind of look like Martin right now. Well, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I'm going to take that as a compliment. So thank you, Tyler. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, what, what, what else we got, Dom? So we know that at Talladega Super Speedway next weekend, we're going to have a brand-new driver making their Cup Series debut. Rick Ware Racing announced on April 13th. Jennifer Joe Cobb will pilot the number 15 Chevy or not Impala Camaro entry for the team. So Cobb, a Kansas City native, kind of your neck of the woods there, Tyler. She's making her first Cup Series start, and she's accomplished a lot on the Super Speedways in the Truck Series. We'll see what she can get done at the 2.66-mile track that is Talladega. David, uh, Jen Joe Cobb, she's a longtime friend of yours. This is, uh, this is a long time coming for her to get this opportunity. Well, hey, man, good for Jennifer. You know, she's a, she's a racer at heart. I mean, she's, you know, she's struggled over the years, but she's always there. I mean, she represents the Truck Series well. And uh, I think the last couple of years, she's got a little bit more backing behind her. And uh, she's done, you know, she's more competitive these days. And uh, I didn't see the announcement. I'm sure there's a, you know, she got a, a good sponsor, a good partner that wanted to go cup racing and, and 
you know, good for her and Rick Ware's given her that opportunity. So uh, I think she'll do fine and uh, I'm excited for her. So good for Jennifer. She's a, you know, she's a hardcore racer and uh, one of, uh, you know, she, you know, she's, a, she's a female and does a great job. And, you know, Mike has a daughter that races in NASCAR. I was, I didn't have a chance to ask him really about what, what she's doing, but it's kind of cool to see, uh, to see females. Uh, what is that, Mike? Oh, the winner. There you go. Mike's daughter's the winner, 2017. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just happened to win your thing. It's like that's hanging on a wall. It fits perfect, you know? So, oh, that, that's awesome. But good for Jennifer Cobb. Wanted to get what Mike's opinion was on that. Well, I think Jennifer's put herself in a position to deserve an opportunity. You know, David was uh, making it sound uh, very politically correct. Uh, but, you know, what I'm not sure is Jennifer, I think I read the company called Arrowhead or Arrowhead or Arrowwood Brass is going to sponsor her. So it's a partner that she's had and she's developed those sponsors just like David working with Whataburger. They may come along and give him a cup ride someday, you know. And so uh, my hat's off to her. She's I've talked to her on numerous occasions, not recently, but, you know, years back. And she works really hard. You know, she's out there, you know, she's figuring out how to find the dollars to keep her race team going. So I'm happy to see everybody get an opportunity. And I just hope that good things come out. If nothing else, just a good, solid race. And she can say, I did it, you know, and uh, may lead into something more. So uh, kudos to everybody that puts an effort out and attends a race and is involved in it. And no matter how you got there, you, you deserve to be happy about it. Absolutely. Dominic, it uh, seems like uh, there's all sorts of opportunities at Rick Ware Racing these days. Absolutely. James Davison running a lot of the schedule there. Cody Ware, Joey Gase, Garrett Smithley. They seem to have a decent rotation of drivers, and they all have chartered rides. So these guys are guaranteed a spot in the field, and you tend to see a rotation not only of the drivers, but of partners that come into the sport as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, we got one more headline. Well, kind of, I guess, a headline, something a little different we'll do on the show going this week here on out. Just some birthdays that are coming up in the NASCAR community. We've got 2010 Cup Series Rookie of the Year, Kevin Conway, motorsports journalist Marty Smith, and current competitor Jordan Anderson celebrating birthdays on April 15th. Jeff Bodine, who was a guest on the show earlier this year, celebrates his birthday on Sunday, April 18th. And then Jack Roush, his birthday is April 19th. And Frank Stoddard, crew chief and former Cup Series team owner, celebrates his birthday on April 20th. D David, uh, a lot of people getting older, it seems. Happy birthday to him, man. That's awesome, man. It's cool to know who's, uh, you, know, I, you know, the blessing of it is, man, uh, if you're able to have a birthday, it's a wonderful thing. I have a lot of great friends, family members, and there's, pe you know, people we loved and we all have great friends and people close to us that can't enjoy a birthday anymore. You know what I mean? So anytime a birthday comes, uh, I look at it as a blessing, you know, and, uh, Hey man, we're all health. We're all healthy and, uh, we, we might be a year older, but at least we're sure here. We're still here to enjoy it. And, uh, it's kind of the way I see it. So birthdays are a good thing. It's, uh, it's not the age, it's the mileage, right, Mike? Well, hey, when you got longevity, you know how to pace yourself, man. You just do, do as David and I tell you, not as we've done, okay? Absolutely. As I, I tell my kids, I says, if you will just listen to what I've done wrong, that way you don't have to reproduce that, then everything's going to be so much easier for you. <laughs> you have to be young and stupid to be old and wise, as they say. 
Uh, real quick, guys, uh, looking ahead to Richmond this weekend, the Toyota Owners 400. David, you've been to Richmond a number of times. What's it going to take to get into victory lane uh, for, for these guys coming up this weekend? That's kind of like a Bartsville race. You know, you got to have a lot of luck on your side. But, you know, uh, any racetrack, your car's got to rotate good in the center. You've got to be able to get off the corners. And, uh, it, man, it's such a fun racetrack. And uh, I love racing there at Richmond. It just produces great racing. And sometimes your car's not that great at the start of the race. If your crew chief or your pit crew does a good enough job making changes, you can have a great race. But I know one thing, it'll be a great race. and It'll be exciting. Richmond just uh, a great racetrack that, that – a lot of people love racing there, and it's always an exciting race, you know. So it's kind of fun, fun place to race. Yeah, uh, Mike, what what are you looking forward to most about this weekend at Richmond? Well, to be honest with you, um, I'm a little discouraged because I'm not going to be in the race. To be honest with you, <laughs> but getting back to all, all the the cream is going to rise to the top. Richmond yes. is a place where all good cars run good at a period of time, and all bad cars run bad. Uh, you know, David was describing early in the show of how his car needed to turn in Martinsville, and it's got to do the same thing at Richmond. It's got to go in, plant the nose, rotate in the middle, and drive up off. And if you got all three of those plus good, a good motor, then you'll have a good day. If any of those four are missing, it's a long day. And uh, <laughs> you know what, David, jumping on real quick because the way you were laughing there kind of chimes. Do you ever realize, you know, you were mentioning about that Penske deal earlier, and I didn't realize – and I hit on it briefly, but how easy it is to drive a good car or a good truck versus, you know, you're, you're running 25th and everybody goes, oh, you just back there lollygagging. No, man, I'm driving my guts out just to run here. And so uh, big difference, big difference. So uh, it'd be a great weekend. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. These guys are unloading off the trailer with no practice and their teams are as good as they are. And they've uh, on some good races with no practice. Yeah. All right, for, for the cup race Sunday, uh, give me a name. We'll start out with Dominic. Who's going to win Sunday? We're going to put that kind of pressure me on. I'm going to go Denny Hamlin. <laughs> he gets it done at Richmond. He has seven top five finishes in the first eight races. He's blood a ton of laps. Denny Hamlin gets it done on Sunday. All right. All right. How about you, Mike? Who wins Sunday? Al Larson. He, he, he doesn't have the cushion up there, but he knows how to <laughs> – he views up the racetrack for its fullest. He's got a lot of momentum on his side. His team's really charged up over him. So, uh, Kyle Larson. David? I'll say Kevin Harvick. They, did, they had a pretty <laughs> ugly race at uh, Marsville. He ended up top ten. Uh, but I think they're just, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to see a turnaround this, this weekend at Richmond. Uh, how about yourself, uh, Tyler? I'm going to go Kyle Busch. Uh, Kyle's done very well at Richmond over the years, and and uh, I think that he's bound to, to get back in victory lane. So we got all four different picks. We've had, uh, what is it, seven different winners in the first eight races. So Absolutely. that makes sense there as yeah. far as that goes. Well, Tyler, real quick, too, I mean, Mike, speaking, of, speaking of racing real quick, too, I know you ran a few Xfinity races last year. I mean, what's the chance we'll see you back in the Xfinity series or any of these three series this year? <laughs> well, I think there's a really good chance you're going to see me race again this year. I was honestly, I went and uh, sat in a Trans Am car the other day uh, to see how that fit. There's some really good Trans Am races coming up, and the car that's kept here in the Mooresville area wins races on that series. And then, uh, you know, I've got the opportunities, hopefully with Market Scan, the people that partnered with me last year. You know, we ran the inaugural race at Daytona, the inaugural 
Indianapolis road course race and then Ray and Road America in the rain. And, uh, so we ran three road courses and uh, there's a possibility of that happening. And, uh, but we got a big, big table full of things. Uh, you know, I, last year, D David and uh, knows him well, but uh, Brandon Hightower down out of Louisiana, I went and drove his super late model dirt car down in Chatham, Louisiana. And uh, I qualified seventh out of the whole field. So wow. I say that because David knows who I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, Brandon put a nice car together for me and I ran seventh or qualified seventh. And it's like, oh my God, this is a super late model dirt car. I just qual <laughs> I qualified 35 other cars, you know? So that's amazing. Buddy down in Louisiana. Yeah. So, Mike, uh, you still with us? Yeah, but my phone, I'm on my phone and it said loud, okay. low power mode, but I'm back with you now. So, all right, cool. So, I want to say something to Mike real quick. Uh, when you said you're driving for Roger Penske and it was uh, when you're passing Jeff Gordon, you're like, wow, you know, it wasn't that hard. And what it's like when you get in a good car, you know, quick story about Brendan Gone. About, I don't know, it's been three or four years ago. <clears throat> we were practicing Xfinity race and, you know, I was 19 on the board during practice and, uh, he walked by and I said, hey, Brendan, how's your car, dude? He said, dude, my head hurts. I don't know. I've only ran like six, seven laps. It's fine. I said, man, what's wrong with you? Man, I stayed up too late. I was drinking this and that, you know. I mean, he went to bed late. Obviously, he was entertaining some sponsors or friends or whoever. And uh, his head hurt. He was hungover. <laughs> I looked up to Ford. The dude was second. <laughs> second. I mean, I've been running practice all day, driving my tail off. I'm 20th or 19th, you know. I mean, this guy's head hurts. He's hungover. Didn't get much sleep. He'll get he'll sleep good for the race, but kind of what Mike was talking about, man. When you get in a good car, you know, when you don't have the equipment that takes the win, man. When you, you think, you know, us as race car drivers, we think we're gonna, you know, that we can. Uh, we can get what the equipment that doesn't give us that we can get it out of it, but you can't, you know what I mean? And you're just driving your tail off and you're just doing everything you can. You're overdriving the car. You're just doing stupid stuff, trying to get the car faster and uh, man and have Brendan come by and say, man, my head hurts and I've only ran eight laps and I think I'm leaving. I'm good. And then I look up there, he's second. That's kind of what Mike, Mike Wallace is telling you, man, there's no substitute for, a great team that has a winning attitude with good horsepower, good engineering, good technology, and a great sponsor, man. You, you can't beat it. It's awesome. Hey, I got to add to that story, though. Have okay. you ever heard the famous Dick Trickle story about that? I so Dick not. Trickle back, he's the iconic person of short track racing. You know, he's <laughs> not with us any longer, but he's who we all looked up to in the Midwest. So back in the day, you know, Dave, we used to all go out the night before the race and have one heck of a good time. I mean, we, there was no camera phones or nothing around then, so you could really have a good time. So I remember asking Trick, I says, man, how do you run so good and win all these races, but you, you've won every bar party I've ever been to? Like, you're the last one that leads. He goes, when you start a race on Sunday, how do you feel? I said, I feel really good. He says, well, let me tell you the difference. I feel really, really bad, and I just want to be the first one done. So I hurry up and do the best job I can. <laughs> He says, you have room to get feel high, or you're as good as you're going to get. I got room to feel better the rest of the day. So, Hey, man, and let me tell you what. He was the first one to finish a hell of a lot of times, you know. That's why yeah. he's legendary, man. Woo. 
Probably oh, yeah. the best oh, yeah. track racer of all times, man. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Time for our uh, Ask David segment. We ask you to submit questions to us on Facebook, Twitter, and email. You can reach us at David Star Podcast on Facebook, Star Podcasts, and Twitter. David Star Podcast at gmail.com is where you can find us there. Let's start out with an email, and this one is actually to Mike. It comes from Yvonne. Yvonne writes, Mike, how often do people confuse you for the 60 Minutes journalist, Mike Wallace? Well, lately, not much, because he died a bunch of years ago. So, <laughs> but I do have to tell the best story. I was out in California racing. I call it, this was back before cell phones. Again, I remember calling home collect to my wife, Carla, and the operator on the line goes, Mike Wallace, she said, well, sir, I've never had anybody like you on the line before. And I go, well, that's your lucky night, ma'am. You know, I just went along with it. I didn't think nothing of it. She's always oh, such a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm thinking she's talking about Mike Wallace, the broadcaster. And I says, all right, thank you. Could you complete my call, please? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you had to be there. It was really more funny when it happened yeah. than what it did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David, have you ever been mistaken for anybody? No, not really, man. No, uh, I, I hadn't had that pleasure yet. <laughs> you know, so no. no. I wish I would have, you know. I mean, you know, I could think of some people I'd like to be, but no, I'm, I'm just me, and, I, and nobody's ever thought that, that I was somebody else. So, no. <laughs> Dominic, I said you looked like Martin Truex earlier tonight. Anybody thought you were somebody else you weren't? Well, my brother's name, oddly enough that you mentioned that, is Martine, and I've been told we could pass for twins. I've been called Martine before, so you guys met my brother on the podcast a few episodes back, so yeah, if, if you're watching the video version, you look at the comparison, yeah, I mean, Martine and I could pass for twins, but I've been confused for him. How about you, okay. Tyler? Uh, I've been told before I looked like Kim Jong-un. I didn't take that as a compliment. <laughs> Dude, you do look just like Kim. Oh, stop. Oh, my God. Stop. Get off. Get out of here. Can you shave the head a little bit right here for that weird haircut design? Yeah, right yeah. Get you a little black outfit with a, with a collar on it. Oh, that's funny. Tyler, you realize you just opened yourself up to a bunch absolutely. of Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Kim jong you, yeah, so. <laughs> and your best friend's Dennis Rodman, buddy. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, this uh, next question from the uh, inbox, it, uh, it comes from Betty. Betty writes, <laughs> David, what is your favorite type of racetrack? <laughs> you know, uh, that's a great question, but I like them all. You know what I mean? No, but, no, no, no. I'm no, not no, accepting no, no. that. No, I do. I, I like, I like the oh, mile and a half. I like that. the mile and a half tracks. I love the short tracks. And one of my favorite tracks is over there where Mike's from. The St. Louis racetrack is one of my favorite because it's kind of a, it's kind of like a Martinsville but longer, the paper clip but longer straightaways. That's a great track. I love short tracks. You know. Bristol, Martinsville, uh, but man, I, I I'm gonna I love Daytona and Talladega. One of the best super speedway racers of all time has to be Mike Wallace. I've learned some stuff from him and watched him. He's pretty damn good at those tracks. But I love them all, man. I love short track racing, but I love Talladega and Daytona. I mean, that's I don't know. Don't don't I'm give gonna, me that politically correct no, answer. No, no, I'm with you. But Daytona, Talladega. I I love the super speedways, no doubt about it. 
Absolutely. Okay. But so I love Super Speedway is the answer, and then we're going. <laughs> All right. Super Speedway is the answer, then. Mike, what's your favorite type of racetrack? I'm going to have to go right along with David because the coolest trophies I got in the whole house are from Daytona and Talladega, and there's six of them between the two. <laughs> so, uh, See, I told uh, you I was good. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, – I was, I've been very fortunate to Speedways, and I love it. I love the type of racing it is. But, uh, again, by the time you're wondering how good you were or weren't, you just come look at your trophies and figure out which ones were the biggest for you. And that was uh, – I mean, how, how do you get any better than Daytona? I mean, it's, it's our mega – I mean, it's, it's where our biggest race of the season starts off uh, compared to any other stick-and-ball sports, which their final game is the end of the year. And uh, we're just the opposite. We start off with the biggest bang. I feel almost guilty saying that my favorite super speedway because I feel like I'm saying it at you guys' expense uh, <laughs> watching the way that these things go sometimes. Most entertaining. What about you, Dom? I got to piggyback on all that. You all took the words right out of my mouth, and it's exactly what I was thinking too. Super speedway racing is so awesome because you throw all the names in a hat and you pick somebody, and that's who your winner is. I, I love the surprise on it. I know a lot of people aren't fans of super speedway racing, but – I feel like it really does take a special kind of skill to run up front consistently doing that. If you look at drivers that never even won on super speedway races, like like Mike, your brother Rusty, one of the most accomplished racers in all time in the NASCAR Cup Series, but he never won on a super speedway. So you have that on him. You have six super speedway wins to his zero. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and let me believe it or not, I let them know that all the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I think it's appropriate to, to – pull out one of the wind rings, I'll wear it somewhere and I'll, I'll shake their hand like this first, you know. No, but no. It's, uh, That's awesome, man. What a blast. Well, and I'm going to tell you what, Talladega has some of the best parties in the infield of any place in the country. I need to hit that up one of these days. Mike, uh, before we go, tell people where they can find you and keep up with all what you're doing, man. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm not a real good social media user. I've, I've kind of tried to play the semi-retired part. But uh, Mike Wallace Race on Twitter, uh, MikeWallace.com is a website that we have that kind of is kept up. Maybe not the best, but uh, tells you a little bit about what we're doing. So we appreciate anybody tuning in. And uh, hopefully we'll let you guys know where we're going to be racing next and might be competing against David there. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, man, you, uh, there has never been a Mike Wallace retirement race or party, so I think that's a wonderful thing. So I, uh, I'm excited about what's, what's coming next for you. And, uh, man, I, I think it'd be cool if you ran five or six or one or two more Xfinity races before it's over, a cup race or truck race. It don't matter. And I, I, know, uh, I know there's no retirement coming soon because I know you. And, uh, hell, you know, 2022, there's no telling what you're going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, David. Thank you. As a, from a competitor or a friend, it means a lot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, we'll just wait and see what happens. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to race something. Uh, as I mentioned another day, I, I went and sat in a car. And then I, uh, later that night, I was with my buddy Doug. That's got that, he's got a land speed record car. Him and Everham were building to go to the Bonneville Salt Flats. Wow. So I sat down in that thing, and it's supposed to run 500 miles an hour with their wanting to run. And I laid, laid down in that car, and it's like, <laughs> you know, I think I just hit my limit on what I want to experience. <laughs> I says, I just can't even picture. I mean, you're laid down, your head's all up, and then you can't get out of the thing because you're laying on your back. So uh, uh, you no. never know. But it's going to be fun, fun, exciting. We'll definitely have a variety this year. And uh, 
I wish you the best of the season. Hey, your podcast is wonderful. Keep yeah. everybody entertained. And little Kim John, you, you keep up your good work. <laughs> I know. Not, none of that. None of that. <laughs> David, uh, uh, what's going on with you this week as you get ready for uh, Richmond? Oh, man, I, I, you know, I have a couple meetings uh, scheduled for uh, – uh, two on on Thursday, and then uh, we got we have a race in schools uh, this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, our Team Texas High Performance Driving School. I think we probably have, I think we have about 600 people coming uh, between the two days. So I'm excited to to get back to 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 doing you know the race in school stuff starting to open up and seeing the race fans come back and be able to have fun driving our NASCAR race cars. So. Uh, I've got a couple of baseball games and soccer games this weekend. So uh, there's a lot of stuff happening, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting back to Talladega here in a couple of weeks. And uh, maybe I can be like Mike Wallace and get me one of those uh, super steepway trophies. <laughs> Keep working hard at it, David. It takes a lot of work. I will, buddy. <laughs> Dominic, what's happening on the uh, racing experts this week? We'll keep covering the sport, the daily news and happenings of the NASCAR industry and the motorsports world. And, We'll, keep, we'll get back to doing some giveaways here on social media, so be looking for those here pretty soon, as well as the Let's Go Racing Twitter pages as well. We'll be doing some autographed giveaways here. David has signed himself with some photos and cards and more, so just be on the lookout for that. All you got to do is follow along on Twitter to be having a chance to potentially win something. Tyler, what's yeah, going to be happening with you this week? Oh, uh, another week on the Jones Report uh, coming up tomorrow. Got a great show out, so definitely want to check that out if you get the chance and busy with the local news live as well. So some great stuff there. Uh, a reminder, as always, subscribe to Let's Go Racing with David Starr on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Leave us a five-star review. Hit that thumbs-up button. We certainly appreciate it. Follow us on social media uh, at David Starr Podcast on Facebook, Star Podcast on Twitter, and email davidstarpodcast at gmail.com. Before we go, though, uh, big announcement coming up in three weeks from now. We're going to have our biggest guest on the show yet. As I'm excited to announce, I have arranged that we're going to have the one and only Mario Andretti on this show to open up the month of May as uh, we get ready for one of the biggest months of the year in racing. David, I, I told you the news about an hour ago for the first time. I imagine you're pretty excited to have Mario. I know you're an A.J. Foyt guy, but Mario's all right, too, right? <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, when you think of – I mean, what, what Mario Andretti – Golly, dude, I, I'm still in shock that he's going to be on our podcast. You know what I mean? That's that's going to be really cool. Wow, you know, that's you done a great job. Must have not there. told him you were hosting it then. I guess. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We told Kim Jong-un was hosting, and he said, "Sure." Hey, let me give David two cents worth of advice. I said AJ Foyt was big. Mario Andretti, dude, is right there. You better like study for this. Not just show up and do the podcast. You like to get some knowledge behind you. Absolutely. You know, I tell you what, you have to go before you interview him. You have to go on YouTube and look at Michael and Mario Andretti's homes. Really? Up there in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. You're talking about beautiful monuments. They're, they're like Taj Mahal. <laughs> are, they, yeah. are they similar to Mike Wallace Taj Mahal? No, they, they make <laughs> – they make me live in a totally different zip code, you know, so, uh, but it's as famous as Mario is and as famous as Michael is and all the things they got going. It's uh, 
it's just cool to because they're they're proud of the racing heritage. I mean, they show everything in their displayed in their home. So it's uh, congratulations, man. That is a that's that's like a bigger than a Larry King interview, you know, back in the day. So uh, Mario Andre interview, right? Sorry, or Mike Wallace interview, right? Sixty yeah, well, hey, the crazy part about the Andretti's, I found out, I thought they were just in the race world until the other day, literally like two weeks ago. I come to find out they're big in the convenience stores, car wars, fuel transportation business, hydrogen fuel. The whole Andretti name is is big in that. I mean, that's a business they have. So they're not oh, just yeah. racing. Yeah, Absolutely. we'll look forward to talking to Mario to open up the month of May coming up in three weeks. Don't hey, forget that try, try to get me a ride in that two-seater that – that Mario drives at the IndyCar races. Okay. Tell him I tell him you guys somebody wants to sign up for the back seat. Okay, I'll, we'll tell we'll tell him. We'll we'll, we'll uh, hey guys, let's make sure we Get tell Mario line. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure okay. there's a long line, but that's fine because Mike's going to actually be at the Indianapolis 500 this year. You know, I don't know if he'll be supporting his Richard Petty hat, but he's going to be there as a guest of uh, AJ Foyt, which is really cool. Oh man, I'm so excited about that. I uh, I told you. Earlier, I'd ran into Larry Foyt last October down in Houston. I was doing a golf tournament for the Houston Children's Hospital. And uh, Larry says, you're going to come to Indy 500? And I says, only as a guest of A.J. Foyt racing. He says, well, then you're coming. I said, beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Awesome. That's awesome. Don't forget that every Whataburger is made fresh, served hot, and prepared just like you like it. Want jalapenos and cheese on that? No problem. They've got you covered. Whataburger, proud to serve it hot and fresh 24 hours a day. Time to put the checkered flag out on this episode of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. For David Starr, Dominic Oregon, and our guest Mike Wallace, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of Let's Go Racing. We'll see you next week.